Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. I think this one we should have done four years ago. Well, it's surprising that we didn't. We didn't touch on this, although some of the events we'll be talking about in this podcast we definitely touched definitely. on before. And uh, so if you want more deep dives, you'll definitely, there's definitely other ones available. But yeah, today we're going to look at probably the history film, I would say, right? Like it was, I agree. It's, yeah. always, it's always like towards the end of the year or just certain parts or when even if you mention, even students, even today, I'll say they still watch it or at least are aware of it because it's yeah, become such a, it. such a cultural phenomenon. So the movie the, that we're going to be talking about, I'm not reviewing, just talking about the history in it, is um, Forrest Gump, which was it's an incredibly popular movie when it came out in 1994. And it was based, I think the same name, based on a 1986 novel of the same name. Yep. It really kind of recounts a lot of Americana, that's the best way to put it, major events from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and that yep. this one man basically just encounters through his life. It's not factual. The events really happen, but there is yep. there was no actual Forrest Gump, although I'm sure after the movie was made, people probably did name their kids Forrest Gump. Right. I mean, I've had students named Forrest. I'm trying to think about it. Like, when did I have these students named Forrest? And I have a feeling they probably were born after 94. So this movie came out in 1994. It's directed by Robert Zemeckis. It is, as you mentioned, the movie that I think every history teacher, literally every history teacher that I know, uh, if you teach U.S. history, shows this movie at the end of the school year. And it's almost like the students, as you mentioned, they know this. Even like my son's generation, because we introduced them to it. And I think parents introduce their children to it because it's so important significantly culturally important to american history and culture that it's almost like a lot of i feel like a lot of people probably learned about american history's events just from this movie which is why as you mentioned they mistakenly yeah. think like oh forrest was there like forrest you know is the reason that watergate was figured out like not you know, quite not quite, not quite. Well, what it was is i think at this time too Pete, is that a lot of pa- when this movie first came out in before a lot of parents were maybe going to see it about the older adults, I would say that. Yeah, it was nostalgia kind of, for them. Yeah, they lived through a lot of these events, also. 
Yeah. You know, they lived through the moon landing, JFK being shot and stuff like that. So they kind of remembered it. So if they ever do make a sequel or something newer like it today, which I know they're never making a Forrest Gump sequel, apparently that no, that was kibosh, no. which we can talk about why that happened later on. But it would be the same thing, like just showing those, like, it's a movie that still resonates today, without a doubt. Yep. 100%. So let's uh, let's kind of just go right into it. We're, again, we're not going to be talking per se about a movie because I just want to quote Forrest. Like every time I watch that movie at the end of the school year, my wife's like, oh, you're watching Forrest Gump, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, because I just quote Forrest for like the entire month of June. But let's, let's not do that. Let's start off with the first historical context in Forrest Gump, which I think starts really when he kind of begins his story. And that's with his name yes. itself. His name himself, yes. Right. So he, this is the kind of controversial in a sense. And today it's the one thing that people say when they look back at the movie, they're like, maybe some more time should have been spent on this. But he is named after Nathan Bedford Forrest, an extremely controversial figure in American history, particularly known for his involvement in the Confederate Army during the American Civil War. However, even more so known because yeah. he was the first ever Grand Wizard of the KKK. Of the Ku Klux Klan, yeah. Yes, very active in the early years. So Nathan Bedford Forrest eventually distances himself from the organization, um, and his association with the Klan remains very much like an aspect of his legacy, though. Like, he can't escape that. Um, he yeah, dies you in, go down history as someone who creates the, the first, KKK. Yeah, yeah like right? it's gonna be That's going to be your legacy, whether you want it to or not. Yep. I mean, it's interesting that he does distance himself from it at the end, but to this day, extremely controversial figure. And Forrest brings that in with the idea that his mom names him that to show that people sometimes do stupid things and make stupid mistakes. Like, that's how Forrest explains it. And and today, you know, in our new 21st century culture, some people are like, well, that's not enough. He didn't bring up what Nathan Bedford Forrest did. But I think it's implied, you know, if you know your history of what Nathan Forrest yeah, Bedford Forrest did. To this day, opinions about Forrest vary widely. Uh, some actually still regard him as a hero, but then again, our society is still slightly flawed. Yeah, but not, um, he's one of those people, like I said, he was a Confederate general, so they're not putting statues up anywhere. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Not You're not going to see that, so especially, you know, like you said, it's whether, whatever is, he does later on, his legacy is still always going to be somewhat that he was a grand Started a KKK. Clan. Yeah, that's, that's, that's part 100%. of it. 100%. Not escaping that, nor should he. No, should he? Absolutely. So right after this, again, he we kind of go right into Forrest being a, a young kid. He's grown up with his mom um, in Alabama. And I think the next real historical reference here is Elvis Presley, correct? Uh, yeah, it's got to be Elvis Presley and rock and roll. So basically, I mean, I'm, you've seen the movie, but his mom's renting out a room, I guess, right? Yep. And then um, Elvis is staying there. And he just kind of says he's like a musician, a really nice musician guy or whatever. And supposedly, as he's watching... He's there. Forrest is kind of listening to a Hound Dog, an early version of Hound Dog. And then he yeah. starts dancing because he's in those leg braces. That's kind of showing like the dance moves that he's going to see later on in 1956 when Milton, on the Milton Burrow show when Elvis Presley performs. It's kind of like introduces him to the world a lot, a lot, of, a lot of ways. With Elvis, it was a lot more than just the music that was important. It was also like yep. the show, like the intensity, whatever you want to call it. You know, it was, it was more than just the music that like it was obviously his sex appeal and just his like rebellious nature and stuff like that. And But, you know, the 56, you take everything going on like Taylor Swift and stuff like that and multiply that by 100. That was probably Elvis Presley. In the yeah. 50s, you know? yeah, I would uh, say yeah. so. 
Uh, and what, you know, a few things here that you mentioned I want to kind of expand on. One, the primary controversy surrounding Elvis Presley was his appropriation of African-American music, right? Rhythm and blues, gospel music. And they yeah, said that he kind of that. brought that into his own rock and roll music. And critics accused him initially of stealing black music and profiting from it, uh, you know, without giving real credit to the original artists, like the idea of the Hound Dog, right? Being a, a song mm-hmm. that was written before that. And some others, I guess, argue that Elvis helped popularize African-American music styles uh, among white audiences, which is probably what brought him to such fame. Like yeah. Well, yeah. not in TV. Like, he was already kind of famous. Like, Heartbreak Hotel was out on the radio. So people, people knew who he was, but it wasn't until he was on TV and actually people saw him dancing because it was, you know, he gyrated his hips. That was That's a what it was. Yep. big thing in the right. 1950s. Like yeah. you're talking about like, you know, Britney Spears or I guess Taylor Swift. I don't even know what Taylor Swift does. Well, no, but well, like imagine just, like Britney, like well, never Britney Spears. Like think of like Miley Cyrus. Deal. Think of Miley Cyrus on like the Wrecking Ball Naked. Like and imagine back then they thought it was so provocative because he gyrated his dance moves, his hips, right? They were like, oh, my God, this is so highly sexualized. You know, they said his inhibited style of performing and his hip shaking were so suggestive that it actually offended and shocked specifically conservative segments of society. And people were like, you are promoting immoral behavior. You're corrupting our youth. And the premise here is that he learned these dance moves supposedly from um, Forrest, right? Because Forrest couldn't dance right or correctly yeah. because of his language. Re- yeah. In real life, they think he was just trying to um, stop a nervous, like shaking of his leg. And that was maybe why yep. he was doing it. But anyway, Anyway, like we yeah, said, the movie is. is not historical fact. Indeed. But it's kind of cool how he brings that in, right? It's cool stuff. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. What, what, uh, so what is your next one? Because my next one was JFK Visit, but do you have anything well, no, before that? Yeah, I saw – well, there was a couple other ones that I was able to kind of like look at that I thought were interesting. So one like, dynamic about the whole movie is from the 1950s, the idea of, of the nuclear family, right? The mom, the dad, and the, and the two kids. And then Forrest and the other main character, Jenny, they're like exceptions to this. Right, that is true. Forrest yeah. is a single. Forrest is the product of a single mother, which was like scandalous back then. And then Jenny has a mother, but also an alcoholic father. So it does, it's not that like Norman Rockwell, you know, leave it to Beaver, perfect little family, that type of scenario. So it's kind of like showing like, even though there was like this picture perfect thing, that wasn't for everybody. Obviously, it wasn't what everyone had, and that that's going to lead to like the rebellious or nature of like the sixties and seventies that not everyone had that picture x 1950s life you know you yeah. see um the confederate flag a lot obviously early on but another one that i thought was interesting was when he played football this is this kind of goes like before he meets jfk that is true and that was yeah. uh bear Bryant. so remember forrest is from alabama the university of alabama which is notoriously um unsegregated during this time and they actually show later on in a well they don't show here they think they do show like his team winning but um Later on, Alabama actually lost in a championship game in 1970, 42-21 to um, USC. And what happened was basically all all the touchdowns were scored by African-American players. And what it said later on is that USC, that loss to UFC, did more to integrate Alabama in about 20 minutes than it took MLK 20 years ago. Because as soon as um, people in Alabama saw how good African-American players could be at, at football, or how much better a team could be if you had that, you know, everybody let everybody play. They were just like, oh, we have to start letting everybody play because we need to win our championships. That's a great story. Um, and it also totally funnels into what, because that was, that was my thing I was going to say about the visit with um, Kennedy, because 
technically there was no real visits back then uh, during JFK's administration. There was it was not a regular practice for college football teams to visit the White House. Um, however, there were a couple instances where college football teams did go to the White House. They were invited by President Kennedy. And one of them, one notable one, actually occurred in 1962 when the University of Alabama football team, as you mentioned, coached by Paul Bear Bryant, was invited to the White House to meet President Kennedy because Alabama had just won the national championship. So championship. this is the whole pre- yeah, this was the whole premise of why Forrest wound up being there. And the visit to the White House was of, of recognition of their achievement. This meeting is particularly significant because it took place during a period of like racial tension, right? And they had just recently, Alabama had just recently integrated its football team um, and enrolled its first ever African-American player, Vivian Malone. And that's why it was so important that like they went for that visit because they had just enrolled the first African-American player um, to, you know, well, onto their team. That. What's going on during this time, too, is you have George Wallace, right, when he's standing in that schoolhouse door. And the, the, actually, and you know what yeah. he's doing, right? He's actually trying to prevent Vivian Malone from registering among him and yeah. one other person. So you want to get into I that think, one? Well, I think Forrest, that's actually right? shown on a TV, right? Like, is Forrest, yeah. is Forrest there or is he seeing on TV? I don't remember. No, Forrest is there and then his coach sees him on the TV, like being there. Because Forrest, right, remember, yeah. he like picks up a notebook by he, one he, of the he students. Just like, like, he, was just like, he was like wandering around, like kind yep. of like yep, yep. aimlessly and stuff like that. Yeah, but basically uh, Wallace, was he did not want to segregate schools in Alabama. And Kennedy actually executes an executive order sending the Alabama National Guard to physically remove Wallace. Yeah, right. he eventually moved on to you know he did a lot of other sort of racist ideas and stuff like that. But you he know gets they shot, were right. Doesn't he get he shot? shot? Vivian was able to eventually um, Vivian Logan and James Woods registered, and they were the first two black students at University of Alabama. So again, there was desegregation, but he didn't really get those big ones until um, the, a big wave of students until much later on. Going the ongoing civil the civil rights issues from the '60s is really depicted pretty well here. Yeah, I think like yeah. it's an ongoing theme throughout the whole movie is the civil rights yeah. issues. See, and Vietnam, Vietnam take yeah. Vietnam takes such a big chunk of it. This event was known as Stand in a Schoolhouse Door. Governor George Wallace, who's the governor of Alabama, like as you mentioned, he literally said, No, you're not going in. And Kennedy's like, uh, you you have to let them in. And his famous thing was, uh Wallace's famous thing was segregation now, segregation yeah. tomorrow, segregation forever. forever. Um so Kennedy's like, yeah, buddy, that's not going to happen. So he sends in federal marshals and the National Guard troops, and they basically force General Wallace to move out of the way to allow these um, two African-American students to register. And at that point, supposedly one of them drops a notebook and Forrest is right there to pick it up and, and hand it over. Um, but this is known as you know iconic moment in the struggle for civil rights and racial equality in the United States. So, you know, he goes to college, he wins this award. He supposedly sees JFK when he's in a white house. Cause he's in the white house a few times. Um, some people miss it too. While he's washing his hands in a white house, he sees a picture of Marilyn Monroe in the bathroom. I don't know if you caught that. I, yeah, like, I guess he's washing his hands. Yep. And then he's just like, Oh, and some years later, yeah, like some years later, someone killed this nice young man. Um, yeah. You know, well, like, well, actually I found out like how this, you know how people will look up the facts and stuff like that and try yep. to like debunk things. So the collegiate All-American football team was just the one who actually met, would, went to the White House. They mm-hmm. they were that was actually not announced until December 6, 1963. So he couldn't have been there to meet Kennedy because Kennedy was assassinated November 22, 1963. Yep. There's nobody he could have met in that you know keep, keep a capacity. But it's yeah. still just kind of interesting how they do that and stuff like that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, because Kennedy only technically, when I was looking into it, they said Kennedy only two, one, um, 
he actually attended an Army Navy football game in '62. And the other one was the fact that he had the uh, University of Alabama team in, in 62 as well visit. But that's it. There was no actual um, in National American football team meeting with Kennedy. So I thought that was kind of cool. All right. So Kennedy, you know, he gets out of his, uh, what do you call it? He gets out of college. And, you know, now we have the whole draft going into Vietnam. But you also have in between this is the ping pong diplomacy. Uh, which one? Which one do you have next? Well, I have military service, right? So the idea you have in military service, Forrest goes and fights, and he's part of what becomes known as the silent generation, right? Before that, you have the greatest generation. You have the silent generation where, you know, they're not in as popular wars, basically. You know, Korea, Vietnam, the whole whole idea of domino theory and stuff like that. Like, this, it's just not as – those wars didn't end as gloriously, I guess you can say, or as as clean as World War II, if if, if that's a good way to put it. So – yeah, United States gets involved. They issue a draft, um, and you have eventually over five hundred thousand Americans are drafted, and it was all protests. And you see that later on in the movie as well. It's something that I think a lot of people don't fully understand nowadays is the idea of a draft. And I know, like I was tell the students, like all the boys in here, like women can join the military if they want. There's nothing stopping them. But the boys, you have to register for the draft. Like you still have to. That's not like a option. Like you can, I can still go to selectiveservice.gov, put in my Social security number so and my, my no, draft number still comes up. Yeah, selective, selective service. service yeah. yeah, yeah. My selective service number still comes up. Like it can still, you know, it's just kind of crazy that it's still like in the system like that. But, you know, so Forrest goes into the Vietnam. Before he gets there, he does see segregated units. But eventually that does change under Truman, right? Truman and segregation in the armed forces because of yeah, during the Korean War, yeah. World, in World War Two. So he ends that. And that's why you actually have, I think you have, because of that, it's why how, Forest meets Bubba. Yeah. So it's even like it's not obvious. It's still like these subtle things that they just kind of show how society is changing and evolving, you know? Yeah, just the sure fact that he's in a desegregated unit. Yeah, um, that's again, what, yeah. first first time that happened was the war prior, the um the Korean War. Um so while he's at war, again, he goes through war. The one thing I found that was really um so I did a lot of research, you know, cheap plug again, but I did a lot of research for my book about uh, New Jersey and the Medal of Honor. And I went through so many different Medal of Honor stories. And there is an actual person that won the Medal of Honor that Forrest Gump supposedly won. They call him the real Forrest Gump. And even when they filmed the scene, because they CGI'd Forrest Gump into it, when you have LBJ giving him the Medal of Honor, he was that was a real person. It was Sammy L. Davis that received the Medal of Honor. And Sammy L. Davis was, people made fun of him for the longest time because of the fact that his name was Sammy Davis, like the actor and the yeah. singer. Um, so he kind of got a lot of teasing from that. But what winds up happening, his real story, so the real story behind the Forrest Gump. So he was serving as like a cannon guy, Battery C uh, in Vietnam. Uh, he winds up getting attacked. His unit gets attacked by enemy mortars and artillery fire. And then it, despite being wounded by shrapnel, right, he, an exploding mortar around him. Um, he has multiple injuries, including a broken back. He refuses medical evacuation and continues to assist his fellow soldiers, bringing them out of harm's way. And he maintains his position and provides accurate, effective fire support um, that basically contributes to the defense of his unit. So he does the Forrest Gump action. This is a real person that they just gave it to Forrest Gump. And it, I almost feel bad that they erased this guy's face and put Forrest Gump's face in the movie. But I guess they needed to, you know, make well, that to, yeah. Speci- yeah, special. Especially in 1994. That's just like 
what the what, what you got to do to get it going. But I thought it was also kind of interesting is during um, when Forrest is in Vietnam, how they're talking about like Charlie. So you hear everything about the Charlie, which is like the Viet Cong and things like that. Also that Forrest was a, a tunnel rat, which basically yeah. means that he was the ones that was going kind of like head first into these tunnels, underground caverns, basically to find Viet Cong soldiers hiding out, which was incredibly dangerous because you're kind of just crawling around in the dark until you find somebody. You're like yeah. fighting in these tunnels and stuff like that. Napalm um, was used big time there. Yes. Yes. And also when he's in a hospital recovering from getting shot in the butt, they're watching the TV's on. I don't know if you caught that. And it's Gomer Pyle, uh, which was a basically a TV show about a fictional character that was, I mean, for the lack of a better word, slow and kind of dumbwitted in a sense uh, at that. But it just, you know, it was very courageous and very uh, noble. And if you guys, you know, know, you could probably YouTube uh, Gomer Pyle episodes. It was a very popular fictional um, show that ran in like 1963. And, you know, and, and while that TV's on, that's basically kind of more or less what the character of Forrest Gump is based off of character wise. Yeah. And so, and someone's like, Forrest, shut that thing off. Who watches that crap? You know, it's like, and that's the irony and all that. That's why that was put in there in the first place. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. And then, so anyway, so he leaves Vietnam, right? And he comes home. Yeah, yeah, no, I would say that, right? Then he comes home and he starts getting, well, he meets LBJ like we talked about, right? Yeah. uh, I think LBJ is an interesting person too because he's like, um, like domestically, he did actually some um, like pretty good things. You can talk about civil rights, like the Great Society, but then he also institutes a draft. Internationally, he was bad, obviously, with Vietnam and everything. That's why he decides not to run for election after he finishes his first term and part of part of Kennedy's term. But then when Forrest comes back, he's, he, that's when he, he's really being introduced again with Jenny and the counterculture. So he's seen like the beatniks, which is counterculture. Jenny's an example of that. When she's like playing the guitar and stuff later on, she's more of a hippie and uh, things of that nature and all the anti-war protests. And then he actually meets up with the uh, Black Panther Party. Yes, I have that one. Yep, yep. And then he meets up with the Black Panthers. And from there, he meets the SDS, which is the Students for a Democratic Society. Which was with that? I guess Jenny's boyfriend was in. Remember that? Yeah, there's, there's so much counterculture. So the Vietnam and yeah, the anti-Vietnam War movement, and also mixing this uh, the civil rights aspect. The Black Panther Party was initially designed. It was initially actually known and designed for self-defense. So hence, it was known as the Black Panther Party for self-defense. And the idea was to advocate for rights and empowerment of Black communities. First of all, they were influenced by teachings of Malcolm X, right? There was some Marxist theory in there. They adapted a very militant stance, which you kind of saw in the movie as in the well. Movie, and, yeah. Uh, this idea of like just they were against racial oppression, against systemic rather injustice, and, and police brutality was their key. But they also addressed issues besides police brutality: the housing, education, employment, uh, military service exemptions for African Americans. Um, they really wanted to help unders- underserved communities. So whenever I teach this, I, you know, everyone always thinks like Black Panther movement, they think of like the Black Berets and they have 
machine guns, but really it's there are just as much for free breakfast programs for children and health clinics and legal services and educational initiatives. You know, think of him as like an advocacy for armed self-defense. And he winds up going into one of these Black Panther parties where he beats up a guy from the SDS, as you mentioned. SDS, who's, Student for Democratic Society. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then he leaves that. But that just shows, again, these little tidbits in history that Forrest is becoming part of. It's like later on when he's at, what, New Year's Eve, he's watching the ball drop. And he, doesn't he also see the space landing, too, during that time? He does. He does. He sees the space landing at one point on TV, which is a big deal. Uh, and then also, since we're sticking with the TV, remember he's on a talk show um, with Carson, I think. And then like you have Carson. John Lennon there. Johnny Carson. That's, yeah, that's John Lennon. Yeah, John Lennon there, yeah. And then that's how he inspires Imagine. Right, which is one of the most iconic songs ever written by John Lennon. So he's like talking about people there. Oh, they're nice to each other and they do this and life and love. And and he's like, wow, imagine that. And like you see a John Lennon like pondering. Yeah, like, 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 oh. yeah, like, and I suppose it inspires him. Yeah. Imagine is, was considered, you know, first of all, it came out during social unrest, political upheaval, ongoing Vietnam War. But it became the anthem for peace and anti-war movement of that era. The Imagine song, which is oh, yeah, you know, this time. day a very great song, and supposedly inspired by Forrest Gump. So, all right, what do we got? Where are we going to next? Um, well, then we obviously we have, I would say, probably ping pong diplomacy. If I'm yeah, that was the, my next one. The timeline, yeah. and so Forrest becomes a ping pong star, and this is kind of mirroring when Nixon becomes president, because the idea of uh, he becomes this ping pong star and then actually goes to China to play ping pong, and that's actually the first time since what World War Two. Right, that you're seeing like yep. Westerners, particularly Americans, having like dim, dip, uh, diplomatic relations with Chinese. So it becomes part of ping pong diplomacy because Nixon actually visits China. He becomes uh, a sitting president to actually go to China and then exp- uses that to kind of piggyback open open door policy, get some more um, trade there, kind of open up China to the to the West again. Yeah. But the actual term of ping pong diplomacy and where it really started, which I think we definitely touched upon this somewhere at one of our other podcasts, because it starts yeah. at the 31st World Table Tennis Championship, and which was held in Japan in 1971. And at this tournament, as you mentioned, America and China, we do not speak. We have not really had any relations since China became communist in 49. Right. And then the subsequent Korean War, like yeah. it's a big no. no, no. Not, not, we're not we're not buddies. Not good exactly. Friends. Exactly. And at this tournament, American player Glenn Cohen missed his team bust. I remember you telling this story on the last episode we did, God knows when. And he was offered a ride by a Chinese player, Zhuang Zedong. And it was like a simple gesture of goodwill, but it actually led to a brief interaction between Cohen and and, um, Zedong. And it was just like, all right, well, they kind of hung out. They gave him a ride to a hotel. They exchanged small gifts. And then that actually... They're human, yeah. Exactly. And that received that encounter received significant media attention and was interpreted kind of as like a positive sign. Like, wow, like maybe the two countries can get together. These two ping pong players showed that they could. And shortly thereafter, after this incident, the table tennis teams received invitations from one another. Americans invited the Chinese, Chinese invited the Americans. And in April 1971, the American team traveled to China and it was the first group of any Americans to visit the country since the communist revolution. So one of those people supposedly was obviously Forrest Gump. I, I, they did it so well. I think that movie was just done so well how they like weave these things into it. Like it, it all right. just so, again, it's all part of the novel too. And they just found yeah, ways to do it. All just clicked. All right. So what's the next thing you got on here? 
Well, if I'm following, you have the 1970s. I know he talks about you see Jimmy Carr on TV. That's kind yeah. of like women's rights in Title IX. But I guess the other big event um, happens on December 24th, 1974, which the movie um, kind of changed. I don't know if that's really wintertime in that time movie, but that's when um, Hurricane Carmen hit Louisiana. This is when um, Lieutenant Dan and Forrest are on their, sh- their tripping boat. And yeah. basically all, all the other boats got wiped out from the shore. But um, since they were out there, they get all the shrimp and basically takes Bubble Gump to a brand new level, like a franchise, which I think there is actually a Bubble Gump franchise today. There is. I was just I just yeah. walked past it. I was in the city. I was in New York City in uh, what, like two weeks ago. And I walked past Bubble Gump Shrimp Company uh, right off Broadway. Hurricane Cameron brought strong winds, heavy rainfall. You know, ultimately, they said that the destructive winds and torrent- torrential rain destroyed the Louisiana, Florida um, and Mississippi coasts. So they don't know how many deaths resulted, but they know that there definitely were deaths that resulted from it. And there were mass evacuations that were ordered in coastal areas ahead of the landfall. But a lot of residents chose to stay, as is often the case. And then yeah, there's you know massive damage done. But that was 74. So that winds up happening. Yeah, that's before we yeah, skipped so we we skip skip Watergate. Watergate, yeah. Watergate. <laughs> yeah. So obviously Watergate, which is kind of probably like one of the more famous events that Forrest kind of stumbles into, right? So basically you have the... We, we did a whole podcast on Watergate. Like um, four years oh, ago. Yeah, quite some time ago. <laughs> Basically, when there was um, bugs inside of bugs, like electronic tampering device inside Democratic headquarters. And in the movie, right, Forrest kind of like stumbles upon, right? He's staying at the Watergate Hotel, and he sees a bunch of flashlights. He's like, oh, someone probably got locked out of the room, so he calls the front desk, and that's supposedly that's how the people get caught doing this. But the big thing about Watergate is that it eventually this scandal, which – at the time, no one thought it was going to be a big deal. Winds up ending the Nixon presidency. Yeah. Nixon presidency, and really in American politics, I always teach my AP Gov students. This is kind of the event that like split American politics. You know, everything before Watergate and everything after Watergate. Because after that is really when people stopped trusting politicians. That, that argument sure. was because before that was kind of like, oh, you can always trust the politicians. They would never lie. The president's not going to lie to you. Which obviously presidents did do that way before Watergate. But Watergate's kind of when it becomes like mainstream, you know. Yeah, and I think the Pentagon Papers drop seventy one, so it's like a two punch, you yeah. know, boom, boom. Yeah, I mean, Vietnam, you had Watergate, Nixon resigns. It's just yeah. So the story, obviously, as as you mentioned, supposedly he sees them and he's like, "Oh, I see someone over there in that hotel with flashlights, and I can't sleep," you know, like. But actually, as you mentioned, this was not initially caught at all. This this received very little attention. The break the break in itself. It was the investigative reporters from the Washington Post, right, Woodward and Bernstein, that really pursued this story and made this into a story. Uh, and they're the ones that, you know, they're reporting uncovered links between Watergate break-in and the Nixon administration. Prior to that, it was like, okay, so there might have been a break-in. Like, it didn't become a big thing until it was made a big thing by these two investigative reporters. So that, you know, again, if you want to listen to the whole story of this, go back in the archives. It's there. It's there. Um, so I think the next thing that kind of happens is briefly shown after Hurricane Carmen is the, the day that Forrest finds out his mother was sick. If you're watching, if the news is on and they're talking about Charles Manson and his followers. Really? I missed that. What? So that's, that's, like, that's like a super um, quick one there. You also see the um, the birth of, dis- of disco. Jenny is shown in disco clubs using cocaine true, and heroin. Yeah. So you're seeing a lot of that, a lot of that counterculture with the drugs, the LSD, P- you know, all, all those things. Um and yeah, so he's kind of just seen these like small little things going on. 
and then, then the Apple, also, my, isn't it the Apple? My big one, next one is when he, uh, Lieutenant Dan, buys yeah, shares in Dan. some fruit company. Fruit company, which was Apple, <laughs> which was the first, and then um, which was made in 1976. Which think about Apple computers, but that's when it, you know, was first founded. Was created at that time and turned a huge profit very quickly. So it was one yeah, of those like no. quick things, yeah. And he just no, it, falls, like, well, now I don't have to worry about money anymore. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? And like when you start looking at the Apple release, like. You know, we think uh, we. I mean, I, I guess the, today's generation thinks of Apple as like iPhones, but really, Apple was groundbreaking when it came to personal computers. So, seventy-six Apple One comes out. They actually made Apple One, designed it. Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs designed this in, in Jobs' parents' garage, right? Yeah. And then in seventy-seven, they introduced Apple Two, which really catapults Apple to prominence. And then Apple II's groundbreaking computer features color graphics, building keyboards, so on and so forth. And then in 84, Apple introduces the Macintosh, revolutionizes personal computer featuring you know, graphical user interface, and it has the first mouse, really. And that's around the time when Forrest receives, buys the stock, like on that cusp between Apple II in 77 and Apple Macintosh in 84. He buys that stock somewhere in between there. So the idea is that, yeah. So the idea is that like he makes his money when Macintosh is introduced in '84 and he becomes a gazillionaire. Uh, he even says that I'm a gazillionaire. But like Macintosh, they said it was first of all commercial success, but the iconic 1984 television commercial, which was supposedly directed by Ridley Scott, um, like the you know Oscar-winning director, aired during the Super Bowl and is mm-hmm. widely regarded as one of the greatest commercials of all time. So now I need to like go out and actually watch this I commercial. What, I know it's like what makes a great commercial, but yeah, I guess what if we got people to buy a product, I guess it's a big commercial. Well, yeah, I mean Apple. Yeah. And, you know, and the irony of this is that Steve Jobs leaves Apple 85 and starts his own company because they get in a fight. Which is crazy. that he can do that. It's a whole other podcast by itself. Um we so if you're ever following the uh, time span, I guess 1977, um when f- this is when Ford decides to just start running. Right. Yes. And during this, he kind of gets introduced, and he's when he's doing this, like, why are you running for women's rights? Why are you running for environmental right, animal rights? So you have like they kind of reference that again, like Title IX, environmental rights, which was a new idea back then. uh, Animal rights with PETA, and the whole idea also is you're seeing kind of like the American dream because you have also these companies that supposedly Forrest inspires, like the Smiley Face um, brand, which becomes very big, and then the. SHIT happens brands, which were famous brands in the 70s and early 80s. These were like big deals. You know, people knew they got those references when they were watching those movies. So, yeah, but Forrest inspired them basically. So, again, just showing these little tidbits of how he's affecting Americana, but it's also showing examples of Americana, like uh, capitalism. Like, who would think just with making a smiley face, you know, on a yellow yellow shirt is going to make millions of dollars? You know what I mean? Or a bumper Not sticker that says, you know, SHIT happens. Yeah. Like you're going to make millions of dollars doing that. That That's that's capitalism. Crazy. And, you know, as the movie comes to a close, uh, kind of on a somber note, a few things. So obviously, you know, I mean, by now, if we haven't spoiled the movie for you, I assume you're listening to this podcast. You've seen the movie. Uh, at the end, when he goes back and he meets uh, Little Forest and Jenny, you have Sesame Street on television. Um, he comes home and he sits in front of TV, you know, the little forest and he watches Sesame Street and PBS Sesame Street was becoming a thing 70s, early 80s um, to really help uh, working mothers, but really like kids that couldn't afford preschool um, to learn those basic things. And that's kind of what's happening here. Jenny is working as a single mother. She is a waitress and her son comes home 
and you know he doesn't have that additional stuff he might have if he you know if she had money to send him to daycare or something so he watches public television he watches um sesame street and then after that right big bird and after that you kind of get into the sad part of it but and that is the hiv aids outbreak in the 70s since she has it right they kind of just say it's a virus doctors don't know yet or don't know much about exactly yeah right but they're kind of just hinting it's hiv virus which then creates which then leads to aids and really this marks in 1981 is kind of like the um outbreak of the AIDS virus in the mainstream world. It was obviously known in the seventies um, yep. in certain communities, but it kind of becomes like national news, I guess in the early eighties. And it wasn't even known as HIV AIDS at first. It was a grid, right? Which was gay related immune deficiency yeah. because uh, it primarily happened among gay men in LA, uh, San Francisco, and New York city. So initially the disease was actually known as gay related immune deficiency. And then it starts to spread really beyond the United States and other parts of the world, Europe, Africa, Asia, and and it winds up changing that it's not just for gay men. And you have the HIV and AIDS. Yeah, they, she's like sits on a bench with him and she said, yeah, doctors really don't know what it is. It's this new thing. I feel like the filmmakers are definitely alluding to the fact that she yeah, never actually say HIV. it, but it's, yeah, it's, that's, that's what it basically, um, that's what it basically is. So that's really kind of how it ends. You do see Reagan's assassination attempt, I believe. On, on TV, TV, right? During yeah. that, you also see an assassination tip on Gerald Ford also um, on TV. But that's where the movie kind of much ends with those things. However, the um, the book it has a few other things. It does uh, deals with Iran Contra. She forced actually gets arrested because of Iran Contra. Um, mm-hmm. At one point, he's actually in Berlin and he kicks a ball over the Berlin Wall and goes tries to climb over it to go get it back. And yeah. that creates kind of an international incident. So there's some other ones that did happen. Um, later on, and what's interesting is that Eric Roth, who wrote the original film in '94, he did plan a sequel. He actually wrote it. So I he did, did write see a sequel. So it was going to be even more um, historical moments when he was raising Fourth Junior. Like the one thing was that Fourth Junior um, would would have possibly like had AIDS, right, from Jenny, so that he you know he would have been ostracized from school. Um, he was gonna um, Forrest was gonna wind up in the back of O.J. Simpson's Bronco. Really, uh, during, the, during the famous chase. Um, he was supposed to have a dance with um, Di- with Princess Diana at one point in the movie. Uh, but then like, real life events kind of got in the way. What happened was they wrote the sequel and they turned him in on 9-10-2001. Oh, wow. And it was sent to Tom Hanks and the director and they were all going to talk about it and watch it. And then 9-11 happened, 9-11-2001 you know, took place. And they were just like basically Tom Hanks said, listen, the movie has no meaning anymore. Like there's no point. Yeah, doing it wow. so it didn't happen and they said it's never going to happen there's just there's no point in making the movie anymore so i don't think they should i mean this leave it the way it is well right? they're saying too a lot of those things probably wouldn't hold up as much like in modern day um and stuff like that but the book was very different i'm not gonna get into it but the book was a bit different than the um the movie force is not the sympathetic character i believe in the book as he was in the movie. and there yeah. is a sequel to the first book also i don't think jenny jenny doesn't die either I don't think. Yeah, and I don't think they wind up together. Um, no, he what I read. Like him, yeah. Um, but also, yeah. movie-wise, they said that it won a Best Picture Oscar, but it went against Shawshank Redemption. And people say that they're... So Hollywood Reporter, like 2015, winds up polling a bunch of Academy members, asking them if they could revote. And like any controversial decisions in the past. And that one comes in first that if people that were around in 94 that voted for best picture in retrospect would have given it to Shawshank Redemption. Well, I think if Forrest Gump was such, such a cultural, cultural phenomenon, yeah. 
You know, like yeah. like you know, Mama says, "Stupid is it stupid?" Like those things. Life is like a box of chocolates. They become part of Americana. Like how yeah. many movies are those parodied in? Like after that fact for years, and even now, if you say those things, people are going to know. Oh yeah, that's Forrest Gump. You mentioned Forrest Gump. Like I said, Stephen students today. Oh yeah, I love that movie. Or when are we going to yeah. watch Forrest Gump? You know, so it's, which is crazy, right? And we're talking about kids that were born in like 2007, <laughs> like, and they're like, yeah, oh, I they love Forrest see, Gump. Yeah, yeah. They're like Forrest Gump. So it's just one of those things. So hopefully we're able to explain some of the historical background of some of the events that take place in that movie. And, you know, again, most of these things you can check in our archives too. We probably did podcasts on good 90% Absolutely. of what we just talked about. <laughs> Absolutely. And hopefully this will inspire you guys to go watch the movie again, because it really truly is a great movie. And if you haven't seen it in a while, Watch it. And if not, you could also uh, just go on Spotify or something and listen to the soundtrack because that's something that could be, have a podcast in itself. It's uh, Absolutely. It's an amazing soundtrack. So thank you so much, guys, as always, for tuning in to listen to our podcast. We greatly appreciate it. If you need to find us, you can find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. We are there to answer any of your questions. And I guess until next week, enjoy, everybody. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.